0: e-commerce gold is brought to you by rewind accidents happen maybe you installed an app and it messed up your theme or a store collaborator deleted product images by mistake it's a common myth that shopify has a backup that you can use when something goes wrong with your store the fact is they don't that's untrue that myth is busted so what do you do you use rewind to equip your shopify store with automated backups rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error misbehaving apps or collaborators gone bad it's like having your very own magic undo button it's trusted by over 100,000 businesses from side hustles to the biggest online retailers like nick's lord and taylor and moomin it's even a shopify plus certified app best of all visit rewind.com forward slash e-commerce gold and get your first month for absolutely nothing free on us econ gold podcast has partnered with clearco to provide you with financial tools to grow your business without having to give away equity clearco is the world's largest e-commerce investor and growth platform giving founders the financial tools capital and network they need to grow plug in your shopify store and your loan could be agreed within just 24 hours Visit clear.co slash partner slash VIXXR for exclusive deals, £1,000 off your first loan as a podcast listener and more information. This show is brought to you in collaboration with VIXXR, a leading Shopify agency with a mission to grow and migrate brands to Shopify+. Plus. They've worked with some of the world's largest brands and can help you level up your e-commerce performance. Visit vixxr.com for more information.
1: My name's David Powell. I'm one of the co-founders of 304 Clothing. We started 10 years ago. out of apartment 304 in Manchester. Uh, we're now situated in Birmingham. Our head office is there. As I said, we've been over for 10 years. We've People may have seen on LinkedIn and socials and stuff. We've been through quite a lot of uh, traumatic events over the 10 years and we're still standing strong. So my background was architecture. Went into that, quickly navigated straight out of that into uh, making a fashion brand from our bedroom. And yeah, I'm here now to tell the tale. We'd literally just moved into the apartment after university. We all went to Liverpool Uni, moved over to Manchester because all our friends went there and there's a festival called Parklife. We had a Facebook group called uh, Park Life 304 Party. Essentially, it was an after party. And we'd made a few vests. We'd hung them on the wall. We'd got no artwork on the wall or anything like that. But we just made a few vests. Um, and people came back to the apartment, stole the vests. Next day at the festival, we saw people wearing the vests and we we're like, where did you get that from? They said Apartment 304. And there was the name. It was born.
0: So, ten years is a decade—a long time to be in business. And can you give us kind of an overarching timeline of events from founding it to where we are today, and any key moments, good or bad, in that history?
1: Okay, <laughs> uh, ten years is a long time. So, I think there was a probably one of the key first moments in the business was obviously myself going full time on it um, around. I think it was about two and a half years in. Um, I actually got first on a personal basis. I got seconded to work for Man City. I'm a Man City season ticket holder, big fan. I finished that job, and I remember speaking to my dad and saying I didn't love my day job. And I, I remember him saying, "If it's working for Man City, doing the, your degree, and you don't love it, then maybe it's time to pursue your side hobby three or four. Give it a go. You're mid twenties. You've got plenty of time to go back into that job if you want to." So. That was a really key moment. I went full-time on three or four, moved back home because, again, it wasn't generating enough money. So at mid-20s, moving back home, pushing the brand on. Pretty key moment in the brand. There's tons of little ones along the way going from buying H&M vests from Trafford Centre and ironing on letters to using a print house then manufacturing overseas. These things all happened across the first maybe three to four years, which might surprise some people that, maybe up to year 3 we were still buying stuff from the Trafford centre and printing on it ourselves in the apartment um i did move down to london as well at one point um about 4 years ago so that's about 6 years into the brand and this is when my business partner went full time himself um he's a qualified doctor so it was another big moment for him to sort of leave a degree of 7 years and step into the business and push on as well um and at that point, we we literally were seeing some sort of scale, not huge scale by any means, but we were sort of getting some traction when I was down in London and made the decision to move back to the Midlands and set up a, an office because that's where we're both actually from. Um, and we were on holiday at the time and our warehouse burnt down. This was the, the exact time where our first staff member was about to join us. So we lost all our stock. We lost our warehouse. We'd just taken on the first employee and we had no nothing to sell so i mean that was i've talked about it quite a lot now and a, a few other brands do podcasts cuz they're in the same 3PL as us i think it was 5 years ago now that was just just stop most, on that for a minute if you don't yeah. mind
0: just what i mean like what were your so all of your inventories in this warehouse um, most of your inventories in this warehouse so how do you as a brand, how do you re- how did you recover from that? Like what was your strategy? What, you, obviously you first held about it, uh, were, were told about it. What was like what how did you deal with customers? How did you deal with getting new inventory? How did you deal with cash flow? Like can you just walk us through some of the challenges you faced and obviously came through.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean initially it was just a conversation between myself, Sean, and John, who was my best friend, who's coming into the business and just saying, look, this is an opportunity just to go. We gave it a good go, shall we call it a day, wind it up and leave the brand where it is or do we fight and give this a, a real push now? I see it as a bit of a reset almost um, and the three of us said, look, there's no harm in trying, let's give it a go, we're all fighters. So initially we, we John, straight on to all customers, explain the situation, look, we will try and get you some some form of product soon. Don't know what that is. If you're happy to wait, fantastic. If you're not, look, we worry, we will refund you as soon as we can as well. We can't give you a date. 99% of the customers were like, Look, we understand we built a bit of a core community anyway. And they were like, Look, we want to support you. Don't worry about sending us the product, keep the money and get the brand going again. Um, we touched base with obviously our suppliers straight away and said, Look, we, we're gonna need some help in terms of paying for the stock that's now disappeared, because obviously you get credit. Um stock you buy. Most of those people are helpful. There's a couple of people that sort of washed the hands of us and said, Look, you're now too much trouble, essentially, which was a shame, but at the same time, it sort of separated the weak people from us. And we did have our autumn winter stock produced, ordered, and it was on its way to the UK. So in terms of actually getting the website back up and running, we had stock coming in within the next two months. And we just made the decision to go, look, we were a sort of a print on demand bespoke clothing brand years ago. Let's do it again. So we went straight into print on demand company online, and said, look, can we start shipping from your fulfillment? We'll load up some products onto the website, just some graphics like we used to, and start trying to get some money into the business that way and try and serve the customers some form of product. So we had the website back live within two days. Um, and I think there's about 10 other brands in the 3PL and they, they probably took between two to three weeks to get their websites back live. So we as a three were really proud of that wow, we've managed to pivot, get some positive out of this situation and get the website back running after two days. Um, but yeah, it was a really tough period mentally and for the brand.
0: Did you have enough of a cash cushion um, to remain operational effectively? As in, did you have a deep enough pocket because I know a lot of brands especially in retail they invest almost everything they have into that next growth stock to, to yeah. um, hit those next numbers and I can only imagine that if you're doing that and you lose a high percentage of a stock that is is there insurance for that sort of thing like does that exist is that something that exists now or is it just did you just have to write that stock off
1: no so we because it was a, a 3pl logistics company that there was insurance but it was a obviously cost price um I think we got paid out in phases over the next two years. So the money came back into the business, but it was delayed and it was less than what we ever sort of needed to keep the business going. So obviously our suppliers were really, most of them, sorry, were really generous and said, look, we'll help you because we know that if you wind the business up now, we get nothing. We both lose if we try and support you. So certain suppliers are actually shipping in goods to us not free of charge, but with no deposits. Saying, "Look, we understand that if you get some sales generated, you can start paying us back." So, it, it, we didn't have a big pot of cash at all. We, we were a small online business with very little cash, like most, to be honest with you. But it took us a long, long time to to clear that debt, and we we still feel the effects of it now, even five years on. That we understand that the business would be in a different place potentially if we weren't constrained by those legacy debts that were drawn out over such a long period.
0: Yeah, it makes sense, and I think there's a good there's a good silver lining in that for others who are listening. In that suppliers often can and will, for the right company, uh, bend their terms. And if you're not asking your suppliers regularly for things like uh, lower deposits um, or pushing out the different payments, you should, because these suppliers do have. The ability to play with that, you know, I appreciate that they liked you and they wanted to support you. Um, but had you not have had the fire, and had you gone back to them anyway, I'm sure you could, like many others, negotiate better terms. Um, so, just talk us through. So, you started in architecture, so that's obviously um, a very long, educational, uh, sort of by the by the book type of um, career where. I don't know do the lines of entrepreneurship and architecture blend I, I would say probably not as much as maybe i can think but what what roles have you have you have you kind of taken on as the brand has grown because you came into it very green with a lot of energy and a lot of enthusiasm i imagine and then have had to learn all of these different aspects of business as you go so can you just walk us through some of the roles that you've you've done and uh, where you are now in the business
1: yeah i mean like you said uh, our team is only 10 still now so it's still really small to be honest with you so i still have touch points all over the business most days if not every week um but as we started i was i made every bit of clothes i was the physical person who was making every single item whether that be cutting out the letters from my architecture degree. I had a real interest in model making then obviously spending a lot of time presenting your work in architecture is quite key in terms of selling the project or selling your project. I stepped straight into the social media side of things, the brand side of things. And that's pretty much where I've spent most of my time since I've had periods where I've done paid advertising in the business, touched on the finance, touched on the website, obviously customer service, picking, packing, everything, even at Black Friday. Obviously I'm not going to be in the studio this year for Black Friday, but, We've been in the office now for four years, and and every year I'm picking and packing and printing through Black Friday just because it's so busy.
0: You know, you started the brand ten years ago. I, I've worked with people, and, and and some of my friends have had brands for for about the same amount of time. Um, and they did really well on Facebook in the early days, as a, as a lot of those sort of older brands, older brand, ten years older. But in this game, <laughs> um, you know, uh, I, I did and they built that kind of initial um, momentum early doors and sort of back in 2014, 2015 on Facebook. Um, and that's where they saw that kind of exponential growth. Was that the same for you? Did you see that real kick in growth around that time? And then how has that played out uh, as the brands developed?
1: Yeah, I think obviously like most brands, we had some success with with Facebook when it was when it was booming and not as many people using it. We had our first ever like I would say like kick when Instagram came around, which was really early doors in the brand. I think it might have been the first year Instagram started when we were just turning one. I think um influencers or people who weren't influencers, they were just customers buying stuff that happened to be growing organic followers. We were seeing real good like results from that. That was like sort of that. Like, yeah, as I said, the first kick on paid Facebook advertising was the next one. And then we had a really strong... Obviously, COVID periods, like a lot of e-commerce businesses, especially ones like 304, which is casual loungewear, tracksuits that everyone was wearing. We saw another boost in sales again. A lot of new people came to the brand and we're seeing now things are leveling off a little bit. But those new customers that came in at the beginning of COVID are staying, which is which is good for us.
0: Yeah, brilliant. And I mean, uh, made.com, I don't know if you're aware of it, but made.com, uh folded recently. Um, yeah. And they're fairly well known in the UK, I would say. Um, you know, they're not quite IKEA levels, but definitely in the UK, they're up there. Um, and I think what, what happened to them uh, was that it took on a ton of stock. During that time, because the demand was so high, especially for home furnishing items and garden things like that, um, but they had no infrastructure to store it and logistically get it out, and and as a result, customers wanted refunds, and then they had a cash flow problem, and it all turns out. What was crazy is they were valued at three quarters of a billion uh, dollars or pounds this time last year, and now they're dead. Uh, you know, don't wow. know what's going to happen to them, but. Is it did you did you experience any kind of whiplash from COVID? Um, or had you been in the game long enough to sort of understand?
1: I think um, like you said, because we've been going for 10 years, we sort of understood that we can see the graph of our growth that it's never been just a straight line. it's gone up, leveled, gone up, leveled, and there was no way that things were going to continue to grow as they were through COVID after COVID. We even saw it like if you got into the data quite intrinsically it was like when pubs reopened in england sales would level off when the high street opened in england twice i think it was throughout the whole two years things started leveling off so if you assume that it was going to just carry on growing when life got back to normal so to speak then it was probably slightly naive to, to think that and we it's something we didn't assume or predict that it was going to carry on In terms of whiplash from that point, I think we're pretty much neck on neck on last year in terms of revenue. The business is operating better now because obviously the the growth we had through COVID made the business change operationally a little bit, staff coming in, how we were working. This year we've managed to sort of understand how to operate at this level better than we were last year. So the business is probably in a better position with a similar revenue. So this sort of happened maybe slightly by chance pre-Covid, but on the back of the fire, like I said earlier, we we sort of stopped manufacturing all our clothes up front. So we weren't a brand, like a, a stereotypical brand that will place an order in January, gets delivered in May, and then it'll sell for three months. You reorder after a month. We stopped doing that mainly because we didn't want all our stock being so stretched out across the year. So we changed to being a blank brand. So all our clothes now get shipped into the UK blank and we finish them in our own studio. So that's exactly how we started the brand years ago. So we hold a lot more stock, but it's a lot more blank stock. So just before COVID, we started shipping in blank clothing. We could generate new designs and new styles a lot quicker. Our inventory essentially was a lot bigger. So instead of ordering... 200 of one graphic T-shirt. We were ordering 2,000 black, blank T-shirts, and then rolling out ten designs. Whichever one did the best, we were pushing that one forward, so we could actually never really be out of stock of certain key designs. And we've seen like pre covid if we had a bestseller, for example, we'd sell 300, and we would struggle to get it back in again. Now we can sell a bestseller at three, four, five thousand of them because that particular style fleece color is never out of stock and essentially we're just reordered up their logos which you can get in the uk within two days so we we yeah the obviously my one of my favorite brands is champion like vintage sports. Where if you ever go into their stores in in the uk or the us essentially exactly how they operate you go in there and they've got a custom lab you go and you pick up your green t-shirt or your black hoodie and you, you print it there and there And it sort of gives the customers a little sense that they've designed it as well. They feel more involved in the brand, the actual process from start to finish, which, again, is like it goes back to how the brand started and why we started. We were making clothes for friends. They were actually sending in designs to us. We were doing slogans for them. So it's all sort of the brand's done 360. And just through COVID, that helped us because, I mean, like now, for example, we we slightly did over-order on our blanks through Covid thinking this year was going to be a real strong start to the year wasn't as strong as we expected but that means that now going into Black Friday so many years we've been scrambling around thinking when's our stock going to get here on time is it going to be here what are we going to do but we've had our stock in the country now pretty much for this year since January and we're ready to roll
0: yeah a lot of pressure off isn't it I imagine mm. a lot of complexity out of the business. And that is leading me to my next question. What's your like business mentality around running 304? Like, are you shooting for the moon? Are you happy running it as a, you know, a really good brand that's profitable? Like where do you see success for you?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good question. We, I remember one of the first times ever, my, my dad's wife asked me, like, I think it was in year three of the business. She was like, what is success? Where do you see this brand going? Because at the time there was, three founders there's two now one left and the two of us were like we just really want to have a brand that fits our life so i, I know someone that like george heaton at represent he says like all his areas of his life fit his lifestyle his brand fits it perfectly i don't see three or four ever getting to the level of represent or the gym Sharp because i don't think that's where we see our desire to get to where we're happy with the size of the business. Now it'd be great if it doubles. Don't get me wrong. Like we we think there's certain ceilings we could probably get to and still maintain the, the level of happiness, the, the chill or calm that we've got. Um, yeah, I, I think we've over the years, over the 10 years, we've often like sort of looked and said, right, we need to do this now. We need to do get into all these retailers. We need to hit this revenue. And it's often sort of things that we, we think, the brand should be doing when you look at other brands pushing on and getting to 20 million revenue or they've just done a huge collection with Selfridges or something you think is that what three or four should be doing just because other brands are doing it and it often comes back around and you think we've wasted our time thinking about these things because it's not ever been on our radar we most of our staff at three or four my friends either from school from football their wives that's what we quite like about the business it's it's just an extension of of us, really. I think customers see that as well.
0: With someone like George, like you mentioned, the brand is so embedded in him. I'd say he's as big as part of the brand as the brand is a part of him to some yeah. degree. But his dedication to all areas of his life it's obviously just in his DNA because I could maybe do his life for a week. I'd be like, fuck <laughs> this. <laughs> fair play to him you know he's building something incredible so Jim Gymshark let's just drop on that because they've just opened their flagship store in the UK and I think in the community of e-commerce there's been a few people kind of um, shitposting on that saying it's too early they should have done smaller stores the US market's bigger they should have been in the US and all these kinds of things I respect the fact that they've chucked a store up in the most iconic street in the world. I think it's just cool statement brand piece, and I love yeah. that they've done it. What What are your thoughts on it? Someone who's inside retail, like, do you think it was a good tactical move? Um, what What do you see the pros and cons be?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm a, in terms of brands, I like Gymshark's another one that I really admire, really like. I like everything they do. I think I've got nothing against the store. It's obviously a huge, huge store. It's going to cost a lot of money. Whether they make money from it who knows maybe that's not exactly what they want from it i think one of the, uh, my best friend was at a, an event where one of the guys from Jim was talking and i think they said as much as it making money or being an event space it's the data that they've never been able to get from their events they've held around the world they don't have that sort of data that they can feed straight back into the website and this is what the store's going to give them so i mean it's not my place to say whether it's the right or wrong decision but i think it's a great move i like it it looks cool it's part of the brand it's a great street love it in london i saw those posts that you're talking about in terms of like saying it was too soon or it's not going to make money it'd be the death of them they should have gone to the us and stuff but one of their slogans is uh i think it's like building the brand on risks or something taking risks and it's obviously a huge risk to open a store on on that street but fair play to them. I think it's a good show and I'll definitely try and go down and have a look at it when I can as well.
0: Yeah, drop me a message when you go down. I'll come up and, and have a look. Yeah, because yeah. It'd be it'd cool good. just to have a little look around. Um, And, and actually, yes, yeah, something that we're seeing a lot of activations represent do a lot of activations in Soho House. George did one the same day Gymshark opened their store. thought that was quite bullish, quite funny. Um, yeah, yeah. Is that something that you've done? Have you tested activations like doing pop-ups and things like that with three or four?
1: We've done very, very small ones. We've done Box Park and Shoreditch. We've done a couple in New Street in Birmingham, obviously being a Birmingham brand now. Um, It was on our roadmap pre-COVID. Again, I don't know whether you've seen much of our studio in Birmingham, but because because we do the custom printing where you can actually do it on our website as well. It's not the slickest of systems on the website, but you can go on and pick a hoodie, then pick your logos, and we ship it out. We want to get custom installations across the country, like Champion, where customers could potentially, if they've got an old three or of from 10 years ago, they can bring it in and print on top of it to sort of give it a new lease of life, which would feed into like the whole 360 sustainable, in- ensuring that our products stay with our customers for longer, or whether that be just a new customer coming in and designing their own hoodie or t-shirt. We, we think that would be where our activations would go. But at the moment, mainly just because where life's at with myself having a child, my business partner's just had a child. Like, I don't think we're ready as a 10-person team for that step. Um, It's definitely something we'd like to do in the next 10 years, for sure.
0: Um, Have you ever taken investment as a brand, Uh, either small friends and family rounds or or any deeper investments?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, in the early days, we, we definitely took, whether it be investment or just loans from family members to sort of help us Get going and took a small government loan when we first ever started of £3,000, I think it was. And then when the fire happened, we took uh, an investment from two people to sort of help stabilize the ship because, albeit our suppliers helped us, we were generating some sales from the website, from the print on demand. We were in a position where we wanted to push the brand on, we saw it as an opportunity to we did a redesign of the brand the logo got changed we moved into our studio in Birmingham and we said look if we're gonna go for it it feels like we really need to go for it so we did take investment that was well yeah about five years ago now and um, and yeah since then we haven't
0: and how was that structured with it was that structured on like a payout or an equity-based um deal like how did you do that
1: It was equity based so though transparent as possible we when we started the brand we were there was three of us um, and one of the business partners left S- after three years you just gave your shares back to myself and Sean and whether this is a, a smart move or a naive move both myself and Sean said those shares were never ours we never started the brands a two we were never 50 50 in this so if there ever comes a point where we need to sell those shares for the good of the business they don't have a monetary value to us so whatever we get, is a bonus so at that point when we needed help to push the brand forward we sold a third of the business to the two like, angel investors to allow me and sean to go back to our 35% shareholding and push the brand on
0: cool and when you took that investment where did that investment go was it all into marketing and advertising where did you like just at a high level how did you invest that money uh, to bring the band back to life from that fire
1: it was it was the setting up of the studio Predominantly, it was invested in some core blanks because, again, at that pre-investment, we were manufacturing goods on then, then payment terms of twenty percent deposit, thirty percent exit. We needed a bit of a bulk amount of money to go and buy. So, like, we're going to go and stop buying two hundred at a time. We're going to buy two thousand hoodies at a time. So it was a lot of stock investment the studio setting up. Increasing the team from just myself and Sean to, I think we went to five, we had a customer service, we had John who's running the website and then we brought a guy in to do the finance to make sure that obviously the money was in an okay position. Um, And then marketing, like you said, we were were going a bit harder on Facebook and, and things like that
0: so just just to touch marketing do a quick lightning round um in terms of where you spend or you allocate your budget primarily now i'm imagining that over 10 years you've built up a nice cohort of customers that are retained customers and very loyal customers um but outside of those how are you bringing new customers towards the business um is it still primarily social media can you just run us through some of the top funnels that you've got going
1: it's it's, it's still social media mainly yeah we 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 at the beginning of COVID, we did a, uh, a charity hoodie for the NHS uh, when it was the Clap for Carers, which all the money was donated to the NHS, but at the same time, it got picked up by BBC and national news and stuff, and a lot of new people came to the, A lot of new eyes came on the brand. we we're, were sort of like the perfect demographic for the brand. We're a brand about family. We sell to granddads, dads, sons, children, so that actual – cohort of people that came looking to buy that nhs for the donate to the nhs actually liked what the brand was about and have stayed so in terms of that that was a, a real it was by by fluke and by accident was a sort of a free piece of marketing so to speak but the majority is through paid advertising we're, we're doing the usual avenues of facebook instagram snapchat tiktok we're starting to try and get a little bit of traction on we always do really well on our email database um and affiliates is is a really good one for us. We we do often run discounts, so affiliate sites we are seeing revenue growing every month now for the last twelve months.
0: With your affiliates, do you use like a third party middleware platform that distributes everywhere else, or do you, uh, do, you do them all individually?
1: No, we use a, we use an agency that does it for us. Yeah.
0: Oh, Okay. Cool. All right, I'm going to shoot you into a just rapid-fire sort of questions. Um, okay. Just sort of brief answers, I guess. The only uh, the only sort of um, thing to bear in mind. So, what what does the future of 304 look like for you or for anyone else?
1: I, I would say it's more of the same. To be honest with you, we just want to continue to grow, offer products to our customers as quickly as possible, and just we're all as a staff base or however you want to call it a. learning and developing whether that's our graphic designers our product engineers or whatever the products getting better the graphics are getting better websites getting better so we just want to continue to give our customers a better experience online and offline
0: what are your top tips for retaining customers
1: i would say one of the things that we've been consistent with over the 10 years is just being transparent to be honest with you it's a it's a bit of a buzzword as well but I'm pretty sure we are quite transparent and being transparent there's nothing we don't any podcast you ask a question will answer it I, I don't mind i think it's a good place to talk there's a lot of like sort of secrecy and within brands or there's a lot of like polished brands that you don't really understand what's going on behind the scenes but i would just say transparency is good for our customers
0: how many times a month do you face a business critical problem
1: uh once a week I'd say
0: oh shit <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what can you like what 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 kind of things kind of come across your your desk are just like out of the blue real problems challenges like what's some 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 of the things that have happened recently that you can recall uh, just like oh shit
1: uh well we've got obviously our staff base is relatively small um our main printer uh, was in a car crash last weak and injured her hand. obviously she's our main printer she can't use her hand the same day our main machinery that prints our clothes broke so three weeks before we go live our black friday so uh, we lost our printing machine and we lost our printer so yeah that was just a, a fun friday
0: how, so how do you get around that do you is it is <laughs> printing something it's difficult to to find someone to be able to learn and do quickly
1: it, it, it will be yeah but it's like the. It, what well, it's more off with of looks back now, it's just another problem we'll be trying to face. And just we will we'll get some new machinery in for sure. And then in terms of like relief staff, we'll get some something covered, but it always works itself out. And obviously, the, our staff member, Georgia, being obviously safe and well, is the most important thing in the, in the whole thing. Whether she's back for Black Friday or not, we're not too sure. But obviously, she's okay and she's recovering.
0: That's interesting. I like, do you know what? I hear in your voice uh that you have been through some troubles i know that obviously you've been through <laughs> fire and you've, other business critical ones because you know the way you approach a problem now is almost like it doesn't phase you but cast your mind back to the early days of this brand were you just every time there was a little problem just melting down
1: yeah i 100 percent remember in the early period something would go wrong and you would think that's that's it's all over whether like instagram te- like being hacked changing your password or our bank account went down two days before Black Friday and our PayPal wouldn't accept payments. So we were like going into a Black Friday with no way of taking payments on the website. These kind of things have happened. And I think now when you realize all these things happen in business, it's not just three or four it's happened to. I've heard a podcast from, from Ben Francis saying like, there's loads of things that have happened to Jim Shark. His office got broken into and the safe got robbed. Like most businesses, not all, go through these critical problems and they come out the other end it's just unfortunately not everyone talks about them so you think you're the only person in the world going through these problems but i know for a fact that people that don't share these stories are going through the same thing and they might look happy and chilled but they're stressed up to their eyeballs luckily for us i say luckily but we've been going 10 years now and like you said it it feels like another challenge rather than a problem it doesn't feel like it's something falls on the desk, it's not like, oh God, the business is gonna collapse now. It's more like how are we gonna solve this one? Because we've done so many problem solving now. I don't I I don't see what could come next, touch wood anyway, that's gonna be worse than what we've already dealt with. Um Talk us through your
0: uh, tech would You've got Shopify. Have you got any, like, do you hold do you in- do inventory management outside of Shopify? Because I don't know whether your inventory management is technically more difficult or easier with the way that your business model is set up.
1: Yeah, it, it's a bit of both. It can be seen as easy. It can be seen as harder. So, I mean, because the stock is such high level for what we actually sell, we don't tend to, I think it's Zoho. I think it's Zoho, the, the tech that uh, I don't actually deal with this side of the business. It's more John, but I think we use Zoho to understand what stock we've got in our external warehouse in Rotherham it's in sort of bulk. Yeah, sorry, the actual stock we've got in the studio because we don't hold that much. We get stock shipped in every day. We don't actually have a real solid number of what's in the, in, in the studio. And the same with like the artworks we probably do stock checks just manually every month we don't have a system in place because stuff is just coming in and out so quickly it, it would just be a waste of time really in terms of the back end of shopify it can be a, if there was a solution to it it'd be amazing because obviously we have say we have 100 black hoodies all feeding into one skew in the warehouse when it goes out of stock if it ever does go out of stock we struggle to sometimes oversell if we don't take all that product off the website, if that makes sense, we still not found a suitable solution.
0: Oh, if anyone listening has found a solution to that, please do reach out and, uh, yeah. and let them know. Um, what's the question that you don't get asked enough about your business? What's something that people don't ask you often that you you think you've got some good knowledge on?
1: Whew. I've never thought about that, to be honest with you. Um A lot of people ask, which is a a bit of a funny question, is if you could start three or four again, would you? And my answer is quite honestly, no. I think I wouldn't start a clothing business again if I had the opportunity to go back 10 years. I think the what three or four has sort of become to me and everyone within it, it's the product that we sell is is, is good products. Don't get me wrong. I don't hammer home the, the quality as much as someone like a george represent that it's the best hoodie in the world you're ever going to see because three or 4 is isn't the best hoodie you're ever going to see in the world it's a mid price point i think it's actually the, the way of life we've built the community we've built whether that be the staff or the customers could that be a product that's not clothing maybe i don't know what it would be but i just think fashion is an extremely extremely difficult field to be in and it's probably one in hindsight, if I'd have known at the beginning how difficult it was. And someone did tell me, I'm sure, and Sean actually, we did Manchester Fashion Week, which was a really small event. But he just said, get out. <laughs> and we were just like, What do you mean, get out? He went, Don't do it. <laughs> and uh yeah, we're still here.
0: Well, it's it's um it's like reinventing your business every season because you've got yeah. you've got to like kind of yeah, it's it's a crazy, crazy difficult business but that's that's one other question i had actually is like for me i am ideas are cheap and i have a lot of them right so Mm -hmm. i am constantly distracted by new possibilities and i just love exploring that first 10 percent of any new idea and then Mm -hmm. i fizzle out i fizzle out and i end up focusing on what was the core of what i do anyway how over 10 years have you not gone i'm going to start a different business or i'm going to start this business as well or i'm going to move here and do this like How have you stayed like focused?
1: I think we we've had a real honest discussion with myself, Sean, and John, who were like the senior team in the business, and just said, "Look, if anyone is ever at the point where they're feeling like they're burnt out or their motivation's down, we all need to know that because the other two people or the other one person, if it's the two, needs to dig deep and keep the business going." Because at times there's been, well, I know for a fact that there's been two or three occasions where i've wanted to quit give it up get rid of it not even sell it just now i'm finished i can't do this anymore but knowing that someone else is on the other side of it whether that be sean or john who's highly motivated pushing things forward and you can sort of see whether that's just the progress or the determination you come out of the slump naturally some people might not come out of it naturally might have to work hard on it but i found after whether that be a week or two weeks or even a month you come back around and you go, no, like I'm ready again, whether that just you needed that mental space or break from the slog because e-commerce is an absolute slog. Like you said it earlier that for fashion, you design something, you launch it, you sell it. But while that's going on, you're doing that 10 times over. So it's just a constant, constant, constant But You never really get the chance to stop, look at it and go, well, that was successful. That's a good launch. Let's do it again unless you're a hype brand, like, I don't know, a KIF, but even at that, that sort of level, they're, they're working on numerous projects at once. It just doesn't feel like you ever get the opportunity to stop. Whereas in, like say, architecture, when I worked in that, when you finished a project, you went and saw it with the whole team, you looked at it, you had a little celebration, went back to the office, and then you started again. Whereas at e-commerce, it's there's none of that, and it can become quite tiring.
0: What do you hope your customers say about 304? <clears throat> when they're recommending you to their friends or their family, what, what sort of things do you hope your customers are saying about you?
1: Well, we'd like to think that they say we're an honest brand, whether that's from what they see, what they get, or how they interact with like our customer service. We are as honest as we physically can be and good value for money. I think there's a lot of brands out there that are probably slightly cheaper than us that aren't good value for money. And then there's brands that are more expensive than us that I would say aren't good value for money. We're sort of in the middle, which there's a lot. It can be seen as a bit of a sticky price point. That oh, you're not cheap, but you're not expensive. But for what we deliver to our customer, how we deliver it, the effort that goes into it, I think we are good value for money.
0: Cool. What? Uh, well, do you back up your store? Is the is the was two more questions? This one: Do you back up your store?
1: In what sense? Sorry.
0: Do you have a saved copy of your Shopify store that backs up regularly? Do you have like a staging environment of your Shopify store?
1: That's a good question. One I don't know.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, the, the sponsor of the show is Rewind. So just getting the uh, sponsor in there, Rewind backups is uh, it's all okay. you need if you are not doing one copy. Right. Probably the most important question for a man like yourself. Uh, Sevilla, Man City, score
1: prediction, please. 2-1, uh, City.
0: It's been an absolute pleasure. I can't wait to meet up with you in uh, in London at some point when your family is just that bit bigger. I hope everything goes well there. And um, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for being so open and honest.
1: Thanks very much for having me.
0: The fact that you're still here at the end of this episode tells me that one, you must have enjoyed it. And two, you're probably as big of an e-commerce geek as I am thank you for sticking around and i just want to give a special thanks to rewind clearco and Vixer for sponsoring this episode you can find more information and the offers that are associated with those companies in the show notes below please also if you haven't already go to ecom.gold and subscribe to gold club you'll get alerts about upcoming episodes you'll get extra content like playbooks from each of the people and guests that we have on the show and you'll also get access to some of the exclusive content that we have coming up and finally do share the show with your friends give us a review Uh, it really helps us to build our audience i hope you have a wonderful rest of your day take it easy and uh, we'll see you next time